Thank you. It's great to be back in our home church, and uh, we've been away 14 weeks, and uh, 13 of those were in the UK. Um, we spoke at 13 different churches there, and uh, one last uh, couple of weeks ago in, in Singapore. We just had a great time. Uh, thank you so much for those that have prayed. I know a number of you gave towards our fears. We really appreciate that. Um, I think, you know, we've seen over 125 people come to Christ um, over that time. We've seen, um, yeah, it's just been great. And uh, lots of people healed and touched. And um, Greta's going to share a little, and then she's got something on her heart she wants to share with you. Uh, the, the first service never got this, so you are going to be blessed. And um, tonight, uh, Open Heaven Night, we just really want the Lord to come. There will be opportunity for the sick to be prayed for, opportunity to receive anointing uh, from the Holy Spirit, but also just a, a short message that I think will, will be really good. So, honey, over to you for the next few minutes. You know, David and I are just such in such awe and, and filled with such thankfulness at the incredible things that God did on this trip. He truly is an awesome God, and he does awesome things. You know, he's come in his... His manifest presence, he's come in his power, he's spoken, and I love what the Bible says, that his word does not return to him void. And I want to just very briefly share a small part of what I believe God has been saying to the UK, because it directly um, is connected and related to New Zealand because there, there is um, there's a strong connection because the gospel was sent from the UK to New Zealand. And I believe that what God is saying to the UK, he's, he is saying the very same thing to New Zealand as well. Um, I can remember several years ago having a vision of the, of the whole nation of New Zealand like I was looking at a map. And in a number of places, I was seeing wells or springs, and they were connected, interconnected by rivers. And I felt that this represented, um, you know, God's church in this land. And just this week, this is what I felt um, God say, there are hidden springs in Auckland, and, and I felt there are literal hidden springs, and they are, and, but they are symbolic of the spiritual springs. And they are forgotten wells in this land of ours. And I felt the Lord say, I fully intend to reopen these wells that they will gush forth in great unprecedented power together with new springs, not just the old, but with new springs that are waiting to be discovered. This is the intentions that God has for us as a nation. God has big purposes for every nation on, on the planet. And, and what I was seeing in the UK was, was similar to what I saw in New Zealand, that vision several years ago. In a, in a vision while we were there, I was seeing wells right throughout the UK. Some were forgotten, some were hidden, a few were trickling, others were flowing well. And what I was also seeing was this network of underground rivers right throughout the nation of the UK. And I believe this, um, the UK and New Zealand um, are just two nations that I'm mentioning, but, but this is what God is doing in nations around the, the globe. And this is what I felt God say, and this is what I feel he would say to us today as well. Redig the wells. There's a call forth. 
so that there can be a gush forth. Call forth. I believe God is calling forth a generation of Isaacs, of well diggers, who will redig the old wells and who will also discover the new wells, just like Isaac did. He's calling forth a generation who will be desperately thirsty for more of Jesus, more of his presence, who will seek him with, with all their hearts. Seek him and seek his face. A generation who will live for his presence and live in his presence. That's the call forth. This is the gush forth. God is saying dig and dig deep into those underground rivers. God wants the old wells and the new wells to gush forth. You know, when we tap into those rivers of living water, wells gush forth. Wells of salvation, of signs, wonders, and miracles. They come forth in power. There are also rivers of liquid fire. There are two rivers that flow from the throne of God. When we tap into these, wells of revival gush forth in power. And these wells are keys to seeing the transformation of our communities, our cities, our nation, and the nations of the earth. God's heart is for revival of the nations of the entire world. And he says to us, keep digging don't keep persevering just like Isaac did. You know, when we thirstily pursue God, there's, there, there, there's always opposition and contention. But do not be intimidated. You just keep digging with perseverance because of these new untapped rivers of the Holy Spirit that are waiting to be discovered. Um, I mentioned these wells of, of the Holy Spirit for salvation, signs, and wonders that Father wants to gush forth with life and power. There, um, there are wells of prayer, and, and there are wells of, of worship and His presence, and those especially, God is calling us to dig deeper, dig deeper, wells of prayer and worship, because I feel so strongly the 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. we know it well, I feel is so prophetic for now. Holy Spirit is underlining it. He is highlighting it. He is writing it up in big letters. If my people who will, are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and pray, God promises. You see, if we cry out together as one for his water and fire, to come, if we sing over our nation of New Zealand and the nations of the, the earth, God promises in Isaiah, He says, I will answer them. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The thirsty ground, that's why we must be thirsty. The thirsty ground, you, thirsty ground, will become bubbling springs. God says, I will pour water and streams on the thirsty land. I will pour out my spirit and give drink to my people. I will make rivers flow on barren heights, and I will make springs flow within the valleys. I will heal the land. God has decreed that if we will but dig the wells and obey, and, and as God calls forth, God says, will you rise up? and be a generation of Isaacs who will keep digging the wells that, that they will gush forth with the Holy Spirit power and fire that God would come and respond from heaven and heal our land.
we actually saw that happen on the trip in a few places. One particular church in Birmingham that was going through a lot of change, quite a large church. Um, they actually hadn't seen a lot of people saved <clears throat> in the meetings in recent times. And uh, just this particular Sunday morning, it was two services, but in the second service, uh, when we gave the appeal, 30 people came out the front to give their lives to Christ. And a lot of them first time, but, um, but some recommitments. Uh, and the, the, there were two music team, a brother and sister, the keyboardist and a guitarist, brother and sister, were in tears as they watched their sister come back to Jesus after being many years away. And then we sang Spirit Break Out after that. And we, we must have worshipped for 30, 40 minutes. It's like it was meant to be the closing song, but it just kept going. It's like, and I spoke to the pastor weeks later. He said, you know, every week since they've been seeing people saved. It's like wells of salvation get opened um, just through faith, through prayer. Maybe you've got a well of salvation that needs opening in your family. You've got family members haven't come to Christ. You know, dig in prayer, dig in showing love. Believe God for those things to open. Just to let you know, I've, I have brought some resources with me this morning. There's some CD and DVD sets out in the foyer that you can look at on your way out, a few copies of my book, and just that you might be blessed. Uh, this particular series, I really just uh, feel to give this one away, but it's called Living a Life of Purpose. And um, I think God is really wanting us in this hour to live very, very uh, purposefully and, and not be casual, not be careless. Um, these, are, these are interesting days. And so we've got a message called Hitting the Mark for Your Life, just how God prepares you to hit the bullseye uh, so that you fly straight and true. And then another message called Stepping into Your Miracle, because I've discovered between us and our destiny is often a mountain of impossibility. And so we need to know how to do that. Steve, would you like to give that one away again? Anyone like that? Just, um, all right, there's a few hands going up. All right. Okay, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 11, verse 1. How many were disappointed you never got the freebie? Let me see your hand. Hey, just go and buy one. The spirit of disappointment will be cast from you. And uh, just for a few dollars, that'll be great. All right. <laughs> Bread upon the waters. Um, this scripture has been burning in my heart in recent months. And uh, it sort of came uh, to me on the, the trip to the UK. And it's, it's Ecclesiastes 11.1, 1. I'm reading from the New King James. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Uh, some of us have read that before. What does it mean? Well, literally in the days that Solomon wrote it thousands of years ago, it meant that trade took a long time. So if you put your goods as a business person on a sailing ship that maybe sailed from the Red Sea down to Africa or wherever they sailed through the Mediterranean, it could be many months or in some cases many years before the, the vessel came back with the traded goods. So it's basically saying, take a risk and be patient. You will get a return in the end. Now, what does it mean today to, to us sitting here in church? Well, I think it means always be ready to give generously, even to faraway places. For someday, even in the distant future, you'll surely find your reward waiting for you. And some of you will find it waiting in heaven. Believe for this because Father promises if you cast your bread on the waters, your, your bread is your sustenance, your, 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 what, your, the material things you need for life. If you cast it on the waters, then it, there will be a return eventually. And sometimes that return doesn't come for decades or maybe even a lifetime, but it will happen. But I think there's a global application for this scripture, a prophetic application that I'm feeling burning in my heart. Back in April, we were speaking in the city of Swansea, which is Wales' 
second largest uh, city. And uh, boy, can the Welsh sing. When you get in their churches, we got up and said, we love your singing, but please do not sing like that at rugby matches because we will be undone. And so they promised to behave themselves, not uh, for the World Cup, we'll see. But they're great singers. And we're in Swansea, which has a lot of spiritual history because it was the site of the outbreak of the Welsh revival in 1904, where uh, over six months, 100,000 people came to Christ and a nation was just changed incredibly. There's also the site of the Bible College of Wales that a man called Rhys Howes founded uh, in the 1920s all the way through to the early 2000s. Uh, he, he, his son ran it after he passed away, but, uh, but he had a 24-7 prayer ministry operating from that site, and they prayed all the way through World War II. If you ever get the book Rhys Howes' Intercessor, it's a great book to read because it shows you that, you know, when a lot of those World War II battles were going, that these guys were praying as God directed them. Amazing. And, um, and so there were, we're in this city where there's all this history, and I'm preaching some message this, that morning to the church, not related to this, and in the middle of my message, this scripture just comes into my spirit, and I speak it, and as soon as I speak it, I go, wow, you're saying something, and then that afternoon, God began to download just a whole lot of stuff to me about what this scripture was meaning for Wales, and uh, Greta and I were talking to some pastors the next day in a meeting, and we, we shared with them, but it just never left me. And a few weeks later, we were in Cardiff. And we, again, I spoke on this scripture to them and it just burned. And I thought, Lord, I think you're saying something through this word that it is a now word to the church globally. And if I can look at what it might mean prophetically, apart from what it might mean financially, I think it has a prophetic um, meaning. Uh, we, we understand that waters in the Bible mean people. Uh, Revelation 17, 15, John has a vision of a prostitute sitting on a beast, and, and it's on many waters, and the angel interprets the vision and says to John, this is Revelation 17, 15, the waters where the prostitute is ruling represent masses of people of every nation and language. So waters in the Bible represent masses of people of every language and every nation. So they represent the peoples of the nations of the earth. What does bread represent in, in prophetic symbolism? Well, bread represents the Word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Bread, the Word of God is like the manna that we feed on. The bread also represents Jesus because He said, I am the bread of heaven. Uh, bread also represents the presence of God because in the Old Testament they had the bread of the presence that was displayed on a table in the, the holy place. And then also bread represents signs, wonders, miracles, healings because Jesus called healing the children's bread. And so bread represents the gospel, the word of the Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the person of Jesus. And this scripture is saying, if you cast that on the waters of the nations, then after many days, you will get a return. Now, let's look a bit at our history because let's talk about the Western world that we are part of, uh, the Western world comprising Great Britain and Europe, the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and other nations that comprise the Western world. 
world. Over the last 300 years, the Western world has given to the nations of the earth much bread. The Western world sent the gospel to the four corners of the earth. Missionaries went out from Britain, from America, from Germany, from France, from other European nations. Missionaries went out from Australia and New Zealand to the nations of the earth. At one stage, I think in the 1900s, I think the 60s and 70s, New Zealand had more missionaries on the field per head of population than any other other nation on the planet. Uh, The Western world has given the gospel in the last 300 years to Africa, to Asia, to Latin America, and consequently those nations are on fire for Jesus today. Uh, Africa south of the Sahara is 50% Christian now. Uh, uh, Parts of Asia are on fire for Jesus. Latin America, the church is exploding in those nations. Why? Because the Western world cast its bread, gave its best to the nations of the earth. But now, sadly, the Western world is in spiritual decline. That the West that was once alive in God and gave to the nations of the earth is now in spiritual decline. I mean, the churches, there's a lot of healthy churches in, in the UK and America, but the, the, the society continues to decline. Same here in New Zealand. Society continues to decline because the Western world has become secularist. Secular is another name for godless. That's the truth. You talk about secular society, you mean a godless society where we don't want God's rules to reign over us anymore because anything goes and anything's okay as long as it feels good and long as it's based on love, blah, 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 blah. We excuse godliness for secular, for human freedoms and secular humanism is nothing more than the antichrist spirit in disguise. I'm being harsh, but that's, come on, we've got to understand what's happening in our nation. That's what it is. And so legislation gets passed by the Supreme Court of America saying a gay marriage is okay, and the Bible says homosexuality is a sin. The Bible says heterosexual sex outside of marriage is a sin as well. Adultery is a sin. It's not a matter of your preference of homosexual, heterosexual. It's like if it's outside of marriage, it's sin, but homosexuality is a sin. Can we say that in this day? Is this, this is politically incorrect? Uh, you know, but we've got to say it. This is the Bible. I'm not going to let my mouth be muzzled by pressure coming to just say, come on, you've got to be kind to everyone. The Bible calls it. Now, look, I'm not picking on that area because, as I said, you know, heterosexuals, if they are sleeping around and doing this and that, that's sin. And those that practice those things shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So that's the truth. And we send all this stuff happening in the Western world. No wonder the Muslims call us decadent. No wonder the Muslims call America the great Satan. But America isn't the great Satan. America has blessed the nations of the earth. It is given and given and given over generations. It is given, it's given its best soldiers, it's given its best missionaries to bless the nations of the earth. I figure like God still loves America, hallelujah. God still loves Europe. God still loves New Zealand. Even though sometimes we feel like we're living among, in Sodom and Gomorrah. I believe that despite all I've just said, God is getting ready to cause the bread to come back to the Western world. 
Because if you cast your bread, you give your best, you give the gospel to the nations of the earth, and then you go into decline, I believe this is the era of the after many days. We are living in this time period where the after many days are are being fulfilled, and the Lord is returning the bread to the Western world. You see, the Western world gave not only the gospel and missionaries to the rest of the world, it gave a move of the Spirit. That Welsh revival, coming out of a Western nation, sparked fires of revival around the earth in the early 1900s. One of the sparks it lit was Azusa Street revival in Los Angeles that ran from 1906 to 1908, and hundreds of thousands, ending up millions of people, got touched by that move because it birthed the Pentecostal movement and later the charismatic movement as well. And today, spirit-filled believers, Pentecostal, charismatic, whatever they call themselves, but spirit-filled believers are the fastest growing segment of the church worldwide, and there are hundreds of millions of spirit-filled believers around the earth, and where you get them, the church is growing. And so the West gave a move of God to the earth in the 1900s. The West gave the gospel to the nations of the earth in the, in the 1800s, and now God is saying, because of that, in your hour of need, if you will pray, as Greta said, if you will pray and seek my face and turn from your wicked ways, then I will cause the bread to return. There will be a move of the Spirit that touches the West again. There will be people that God will send to carry spiritual fire back to our nation. And I just, you know, when we're in the UK, it's so evident in the city churches, like if you took all the Africans out, for example, you probably have about a third of the congregation left. It's like there's Africans everywhere. And man, can Africans, they are fiery people, let me tell you. They, uh, they, they don't sit quiet in church. They, they, they know how to pray. Africans pray for hours on end. They are on fire for Jesus. And God is sending Africans into Europe like never before, and, and Asians as well. And, and look what God is doing here. The, the bread is returning. While we were there, there were 650 Korean Christians that paid their own way to do a prayer tour through the UK. They just wanted to bless the United Kingdom to say thank you for sending the gospel along with the United States to Korea because now Korea is 45% Christian and they're, they're, the Koreans are fiery. Any Koreans here? Wave your hand if you're a Korean. Am I, I can't see any hands. Anyone? Up the top, Anyong Aseo. Ah, God bless Koreans. They know how to pray. Africans know how to pray. Hallelujah. Asians are on fire. And so God sends them. Uh, when we were there, the, the Bible College of Wales, I talked about it. It had, been, it had been shut down and it got reopened. A church in Singapore, God told the pastor, I want you to reopen the well of intercessory prayer in Wales. Which is like what Greg is talking about. They, that church has committed $12 million to restoring the Bible college, the prayer room. It's up and running. There's 24-7 prayer going on. There's the Bible college reestablished. They've planted a church, and it got reopened at the end of May. And, you know, we were talking to some of the personnel involved. They said, you know what we discovered? We were clearing the ground, and we found this old well that had been covered over. 
It's like, okay, the natural and the spiritual together. How cool is that? You know, I could, I could tell you story after story after story of what God is doing in the earth. And you see, this is the reason why there's mass immigration happening across the nations of the earth because God is juggling the nations and he's letting bread return from Africa to the nations that blessed it, from Asia to the nations that blessed it, from Latin America to the nations that blessed it. Bread is returning. Now, the thing is... Where you get wheat being sown, the devil comes with tears. And so immigration is a problem in many nations because you've also got the devil putting in undesirable people that are bringing nations into bondage. But I think we've got to step back and say, it's not just the devil in control of this. God's on the throne. He's in control. Hallelujah. He's in charge of immigration. And I think a lot of the mass movement of peoples today is God returning bread to the Western world. It really is. Let's prove this. Stand up if you were not born in New Zealand. Just stand to your feet if you were not born in New Zealand. Have a look around. (laughs) It's a takeover. Remain standing, remain standing, because I want to talk to you for a minute. You are not here to have a better life. That's part of it, living in a beautiful nation like this. But the primary reason that you are here is that God has sent you here to make a difference to this nation. That is the call on your life. That is why you are here. You are part of the bread returning to New Zealand, for we gave missionaries, we gave the gospel to the nations of the earth, and now in our hour of need, God is sending you and many like you back to this nation. The other thing I want to say is, don't allow the enemy to make you feel apologetic that you're here because of criticism that comes in our media or from ignorant New Zealanders who don't understand and only see the problems that immigration brings, we've got to lift up our vision and say, yes, there are problems because there are tears, but yes, there's wheat and you're the finest of the wheat that God is planting in this nation, that there might be a spiritual influence that you bring to churches and to your community and to your workplaces and don't allow... Don't allow your spiritual vitality, the fire that is in you from the nations that you've come, don't allow it to be dampened down because New Zealand can be a sleepy place because everything's so good here and we're far away from the troubles. It's easy to fall asleep. Stay awake spiritually. Stay prayerful. Stay on fire for Jesus and let this be infectious to the rest of us. And I want to say one final thing. As a New Zealander born here and representing thoughtful New Zealanders born here, I want to say to you who have come to this nation, you are welcome. You are welcome. We welcome you. We receive you. You are blessed. Don't allow the enemy to make you think you're a nuisance or apologetic or a second-class citizen. You are a first-rate member of the kingdom of heaven, and God has sent you to this place. Hallelujah. And I just want to pray. 
I just want to pray release over you. Why don't you just lift your hands to the Lord. Father, thank you for every person standing. Thank you that you've sent them to this nation. Thank you, Lord God, for what they carry. I pray that the fire will intensify in their spirits, that it will not be put out, and that, Lord, you will bless them. You will bless them materially. You will bless them spiritually, and you will make them a blessing to this nation, I pray. In the name of Jesus, we release you from any sense of feeling awkward or embarrassed because of the problems with immigrants. We release you to be free, to enjoy the fact that Father God looked at you in another nation, picked you up, and planted you here, and you are received today. Receive that in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. I have to say all that because we've got an Indian pastor. But anyway, we're moving on. I think he was born in New Zealand. Is that right? Not sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sam, you should know this stuff. That verse um, is not just applicable to the Western world. We can take it further. Uh, The Middle East was the cradle of Christianity 2,000 years ago. And the gospel, Jesus brought it to the Middle East and his people began to take it right across uh, as far as India and down into North Africa and up into Europe. And of course, over millennia, the gospel went literally around the world. But the point I'm saying is that the Middle East was the cradle of Christianity. It gave the bread of the gospel and of a move of the kingdom of God to the nations of the earth. And right now, the Middle East is the most oppressed area on the planet and is causing the most problems around the globe to many, many nations because of radical Islam. But I believe that despite what's going on in the Middle East, despite the persecution and killing of Christians, despite the violence, God is saying, after many days, I will return the bread to the Middle East. After many days, there will come a move of the Spirit to that area of the world. After many days, the gospel will return. Jesus, our Lord, will walk through the nations of the Middle East and already is saving millions of Muslims who have become disillusioned with the killing and the maiming and the fighting between Shia and Sunni and the division they see in Islam and what they see ISIS perpetrating. And while there's nutcases that get on board with that, most thoughtful Muslims are saying, is this really our religion? And it's opening them up to the gospel of the Lord to visions, to dreams, to radio and TV broadcasts, and millions are coming to Christ, and and we're going to see an even greater harvest there. Why? Because bread will return to the Middle East. It will, because this scripture is true. I'll give you one example, Uh, and this this example, we we were having uh, dinner in Singapore with a, a man that is an apostle, he goes into China, ministers to the church in China, and we said to him, is it true that 30,000 people every day come to Christ in China? And he said, no, it's not. He said, the figure's closer to 35,000. And, and at that rate, he said, that the Chinese government will not broadcast this because the fact is that soon Christians will outnumber Communist Party members. if they haven't already. 
And uh, if that rate keeps going, then China will become the largest Christian nation on the planet. How about that? And one of the reasons that's happened is that, the, that over 400 million people in China have moved from the rural areas into the cities in the last few decades because of the, you know, the whole, um, it's not capitalist, but just that free trade that, that Chinese government has uh, in, in an enlightened way permitted to take place in China. And so many of the rural Christians, where Christianity was strong in the rural areas, but not in the cities, they have come into the cities and many city dwellers have been saved. Not only that, that, the, that, that many people in China now are seeing the emptiness of materialism. And he said there is a fresh wave of evangelism taking place throughout the nation, especially in the cities. People are coming to Christ. But you know what the Chinese church are doing? They are training missionaries. And you know what they're training them to do? To go back along the old Silk Road, all the way through the Middle East, right back to Jerusalem, because their goal of the Chinese church is to return the gospel to the Middle East, to return the gospel to Jerusalem. How about that? They recognize that they owe a debt to the Middle East and to Israel, and so they are preparing, and many of them are being prepared to die for their faith because Chinese are much more acceptable to Middle Eastern people at the moment than Westerners, and so it's just like God to breathe on China and say, okay, I'm going to use you guys to reach this area of the earth. And God is, God is returning the bread. It's an incredible thing. Now, to wind this up, you might say, well, listen, how is this relevant for me? How do I apply this to my life apart from this just being an, an inspirational talk? Well, I think, I asked the Holy Spirit that. I think, number one, realize if you're an immigrant, realize why you're here. Your primary reason that you're here is to make a difference in some way, small or large, to this nation. Secondly, pray. All prophetic revelation is an invitation to intercession. When a prophetic word comes like this, if we just say, oh, that's nice, and do nothing with it, then it will probably not take place because the Bible says in 1 Timothy 1.18, wage an effective fight through the prophecies spoken over you in the name of the Lord. In other words, when a prophetic word comes, we are meant to pick it up and pray it into being. And could I suggest a practical thing that whenever you see on the news or in the newspaper or on the internet some negative report of what a Western government has done and some piece of legislation that a Western government has passed that is anti-God, or when you see the latest atrocity being committed in the Middle East, could I suggest that instead of saying that's terrible, that you begin to rise up and pray and say, Lord, you promised bread will return, and you take a stance of prayer that, God, that may look bad, but we believe you've got something, and we call on you to move in that nation, move in that situation. Let the negative news provoke you to positive praying. Could I suggest that? One of, one of the reasons we tape the news is that we can stop it and pause it and pray right there saying, Father, would you come and intervene in that situation? You know, the Lord Jesus taught us how to pray, and this is how he said, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. The first half of the Lord's prayer is not about us. 
It's about his kingdom. It's about his reputation. And he, he was giving us not a prayer to recite, though that can be powerful. He was giving us a methodology of praying. And he's saying, make the priority of your prayer life the honoring of the name of God throughout the earth. Make the priority of your prayer life the invitation intercession for the kingdom to come in every nation. Then you can ask for your own needs. But a lot of us allow our prayer lives to be shrunk down to give us this day our daily bread when Jesus said, pray that his name be hallowed and his kingdom will come. And I'm trying to give a prophetic word today that I trust will light a fire in your spirit to say, Father, we're going to change our praying. Hallelujah. We might even turn up at the midweek prayer meeting. We might even sign up for the 24-7 prayer room. But any, at the very least, we are going to pray like never before that the bread returns, hallelujah, to the nations of the earth. And then the final thing is stay in hope. Don't allow the negativity that we see out in the world, the, the terrible things that are happening, don't allow that to bring hopelessness and despair. Because God is the God of hope. And I said in the first service, I love Psalm 2 because, you know, in Psalm 2 it says that he who sits in the heavens laughs as he sees, he sees the nations uh, raging and rulers of the earth saying, taking counsel together saying, we don't want to be under God's rule anymore. And uh, he laughs. Not a mocking laugh, not a sadistic laugh. He laughs a laugh of victory because if you read Psalm 2 through a little further, it says, it's the prayer of Jesus, give me the nations for my inheritance. Hey, how many think Jesus' prayer is going to get answered? About five of you, that's really encouraging. <laughs> Jesus, Father is going to answer Jesus' prayer. Give me, Father, give me New Zealand for my inheritance. Give me Europe for my inheritance. Give me the Middle East for my inheritance. Give me India for my inheritance. Give me Fiji. Give me Pakistan. Give me wherever you're from. Give me Africa. Hallelujah. Give me, give me these nations for my inheritance. And Father is going to answer that prayer. Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail. And so, one day, we are going to see all the enemies of the gospel, all the enemies of God, become a footstool under his feet. That's what the Word of God says, that Jesus will be victorious over everything. And right now, it's not a time for us to despair, but a time for us to be in hope. I don't know about you, but I get moved, I get provoked, I get grieved by what I see happening in our Western nation. I get grieved at all the junk legislation being passed throughout the earth, and it's pretty hard, but I've got to remember to say, God, there's only one thing that's going to discharge this grief, and that's prayer. I'm going to believe you, I'm going to pray, and I never see it in my lifetime. I won't matter, because my prayers will count, yours will as well, because Jesus will have what he wants. And as we draw this to a close, you might have come to this meeting not having met Jesus. I'm talking about cast your bread on waters. Your life is like bread. And you know what Jesus said in Mark 8, 35 and 36? He said, um, whoever would lose his life for my sake and the gospels will find it. But whoever saves his life will lose it. For what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and lose their soul.